the Fire Within Podcast. You need a sustainable plan, the right mindset, and the knowledge and inspiration to stoke the fire within. Just like the Phoenix, you can burn your old habits, never turn back, and emerge completely anew. There are no shortcuts. Welcome, Fire Within Nation. This is the Fire Within Podcast, where we dive into all things nutrition, fitness, and health related. I'm your host, Brandon Mully, joined by my co-host, Joe. Hey, Brandon. How you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited about the day. Yeah, we're going to talk about the microbiome. Which is something that I never knew existed. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal. I don't think they knew a ton about it. And now they're coming up with all these breakthroughs. Oh my God, it has a lot to do with autism. It's There's more neurons in your gut than in your brain. And um, it's, it's actually a really big deal. So why should I care? That's what today's episode is about. We should probably about. start with like, what the, what the heck is it? What the heck is it? Well, it is defined as a community of microorganisms, such as bacteria, fungi, and viruses that inhabit a particular environment, and especially the collection of microorganisms living in or on the human body. So it's kind of gross. Kind of gross. Yeah, a bunch of little bacterial things. And our body actually hosts 100 trillion bacteria, and that is called the microbiome. And is it all in your stomach and gut area, or is it just all the bacteria in your body? There's literally pounds of it just on, like, your face. Really? Yeah, that's what I hear. That's kind of gross. <laughs> it's, it's everywhere. It's on your skin. It's in your gut. It's all throughout. So why is there so much focus then on your gut when when I hear people talking about microbiome, if it's everywhere? Because that's where we could most influence it. By what we eat and the types of things that penetrate our immune barrier. And the immune barrier is really important. Uh, The majority of that is in your small intestines. And it's the things that get in and out of that that can uh, cause the most change the quickest when it comes to your microbiome health. Basically, you have two types of bacteria, good and bad. A lot of people have too much of the bad stuff. And when they have too much of the bad bacteria, that can actually lower serotonin, causes anxiety, depression, IBS irritable bowel, all those types of things. And that's what we call gut dysbiosis. Hmm. So if you picture, um, just like Star Wars, the rebels fighting the, the empire, whoever's winning, there's more of that bacteria in your stomach. But obviously we don't want the empire to win because those guys suck at shooting. <laughs> they never hit anything. That's a good point. <laughs> they don't hit nothing. Once you have more of those bad bacteria, you get inflammatory bowel disease. Definitely contributes to obesity and autoimmune issues is a big one. We'll just dive into it. So so there's actually a, a couple different categories of things that have to do with it. And it's not just in your gut. It could also be products on your skin. You know, we had an episode on about right. uh, using better makeup products and things like that. So I was under the impression that microbiome was all related to the gut. But that makes sense why she was saying you got to be careful how many chemicals you put on your body. Exactly. Aerosols, air fresheners, blade plug-ins, chemicals, ammonia. I've been polishing furniture lately uh, using stains, so I'm very careful. I've got a mask with a filter on because I know that could have a big impact. Actually, quick side note, Dr. Daniel Amen has a fantastic book, um, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, and there's a couple in it that were fighting all the time, and they didn't used to, and they said, well, when did the fighting start? And they said a couple months ago, well, what changed? Well, we started working at a furniture company, and was constantly being exposed to these different chemicals. And it, they did a brain scan, and, it, and there was a region of his brain that literally was Swiss cheese from, from those chemicals. Wow. Which is repairable, but that's where all the changes in mood and behavior came from. 
And huh. once they identified that and, and he got a new job, all those issues went away. See, and, I feel like I'm a much happier, more calm guy when I'm in the workshop working on wood. So I think <laughs> it has a it has a calming effect on me. Um, but if you're in a factory with massive right. amounts of stain and polyurethane and chemicals, yeah, uh, that's a problem. Uh, getting back on topic, uh, there's a couple of major categories. I want to talk about this first one just for a minute: antibiotics. So antibiotics is they're life saving, they're wonderful inventions. However, a broad-spectrum antibiotic like amoxicillin will completely annihilate and wipe out your entire microbiome, like napalm on a forest. And good and bad, or just good, or? Everything. It doesn't discriminate. It kills everything, which is why they always recommend to have this Activia yogurt with probiotics, which is still better than nothing, but it's going to do very little in comparison to the damage of that antibiotic. Mm. Uh, so typically it takes two full years after a full course of antibiotics to regrow your microbiome back to where it was. I'm just thinking back to like when I was a kid, they would give us antibiotics when we were sick, like every time. Like, yeah. here's some antibiotics. Yeah, I used to beg for a pack when I had a nasty cold, and they'd say, they, they would try and save me and say, no, you don't need that. Um, but I was impatient. I wanted the cold gone then, and I would they would eventually give in. Yeah. So but, what are some of the kind of the, the things that you could expect to feel in your body as a result of like having your microbiome wiped out? Well, typically your immune system is much weaker and you're going to be much more susceptible to autoimmune issues. It could be asthma, mucosal secretions, sinus infections, ear infections. Now, in the case of early onset of antibiotic use, they're finding 90% of Crohn's disease, which is a permanent for the rest of your life, chronic, horrible disease that sometimes needs blood transfusions and, you know, it's just painful, painful, painful. 90% of that goes back to early onset of antibiotic use, like in toddlerhood or, or younger. Um, so it's a big, big deal. Uh, anytime you need a course of antibiotics, it's worth, worth asking the doctor, is there a more selective strain of antibiotics or, you, or do we have to go broad spectrum and just wipe out everything? Yeah, uh, I think it should be last resort. And once that decision to be on antibiotics is made, we want to be, add probiotics, eat as many vegetables as we can tolerate, and then just protect what, what's left so that we can repopulate that and not have to go through uh, irritable bowel and and dysbiosis and all these other types of things. So it's another bad idea for your microbiome. NSAIDs, that's non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs such as ibuprofen, Tylenol, things like that. So that can literally eat holes in the lining of the gut and you can get something called ulcerative colitis. So what's the trade-off there? Like, I know why I would take an NSAID would probably be I have a headache. Yeah. And you're telling me that if I choose to just instead of weather the storm of this headache that might last another six hours now one dose isn't going to destroy your microbiome right so it's um, not like broad spectrum antibiotics no okay. no but i'm talking chronic use okay. uh, of it um, like there are people it's just their daily regimen is before right. tennis i take two I, like that's a bad idea don't um, they tell people like with heart attacks to do like a baby aspirin. to do a baby aspirin a day they do i haven't done a lot of research on aspirin specifically yeah, they normally prescribe something very like bare. Yeah, like something very. Maybe uh, it's a lot weaker. Mild. So I'd have to do more research on that. But but in general, you don't want to be popping these things like candy daily. Right. I think they're fine for acute issues. If you fall down the stairs, if you tweak your back, things like broke a toe. Fine, take some ibuprofen. I'll do that. Yeah. Two three days is my tops, and then I try and get off it. Yeah. 
Yeah. I know there's also another side effect from those. When my daughter had knee surgery, yeah, she she basically her patella got dislocated, and they had to get some tendon from a cadaver and, oh, wow. and fix her tendon. She's just very bendy, and so it wasn't holding her patella in place. But it was painful, and so they gave her like a I think it was like a 400 or 800 milligram of ibuprofen, and it's you know they give you this giant bottle for like weeks and weeks and weeks, and I think it took her. I don't know, maybe a week or so before she was okay not taking it because the pain she could handle the pain, but she at that point had already developed withdrawal syndromes. She had a really bad stomach ache, and she was feeling the effects of weaning herself off of the drug after a very short amount of time. Anyways, yeah. long story short, I know a lot of people end up on pain relievers because their doctor asked them to and end up addicted. Yeah, that addictive. whole opioid crisis is huge. Right. So these are the, this is really the people that are also endangering their microbiome, the ones that are using them long-term or abusing them. Right, and also they could do damage to your kidneys too. I know my grandma had to go to the hospital, have a surgery done from Advil. So especially people as they get older and have arthritis, uh, you don't want to rely on that stuff. Now, one thing you could do uh, if you have a high-quality olive oil, uh, the higher the quality, the more it makes you cough if you take a shot of it. That's called the cough test. A high-quality olive oil, the thing that's making you cough is something called polyphenols. And they have an anti-inflammatory property the same as a low-dose ibuprofen. Hmm. So, so having a diet rich in healthy types of oil like that could potentially help with inflammation. So, like, if you're having aches and pains that you might go take an ibuprofen to deal with, you could try... A shot of olive oil. Taking a shot of olive oil. <laughs> if it's high quality. If it's high quality. Um, but connoisseurs of olive oil, believe it or not, those exist. They'll literally take shots of it, and they'll see how many times it makes them cough. And if it's a cough storm, that's super high quality, and that's the top dollar, top shelf stuff. Uh, if it's one cough, it doesn't have as many of that <laughs> polyphenol content. What so. a weird thing. I want this thing to make me gag. Then I know it's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we got antibiotics, NSAIDs. Yep. What's um, another thing that can uh, cause intestinal dysbiosis? So diet, of course. So we've talked in great length and detail on this podcast in previous ep episodes about uh, wheat, grain, corn, and dairy, uh, soy as well, and their impact on the mucosal lining of the small intestines. So that's literally opening up the floodgates for all kinds of proteins and things that shouldn't be in our system to get in there and wreak havoc. Uh, so corn's the worst. Wheat and grain are right up there. They have that lectin protein. So that's something we want to be very mindful of. Now, quick uh, mini lesson on that lectin protein. All vegetables have lectin. Um, including kale. We just want to stay away from the things with really high concentrations of it. So you can't get away from it. Our body can handle some. Uh, but there's a couple things that were just introduced to our diet uh, a couple thousand years ago in ancient Egypt. Wheat, grain, and corn being the primary ones. And our body doesn't have a system in place to take on that onslaught of huge amounts of that lectin protein. Now, some people do okay with them, but if you're experiencing any issues, I would consider limiting them. Gotcha. So we got antibiotics, NSAIDs, wheat, grain, and corn, lectin. Yeah, dairy. Um, dairy is going to cause a significant increase in mucosal secretion, which can cause some immune problems. It can cause sinus issues and congestion and actually make us want to go get an antibiotic. So many people with chronic sinus issues can potentially get rid of those completely by changing their diet. And I've had people do it all the time. Mm. Uh, so something to consider. Uh, the next would be psychological stress. So when you're having negative thoughts and emotions, 
the acidity in your, there's hormonal changes that happen and the acidity in your stomach changes and starts to break and eat away at that mucosal lining that protects your small intestines. Right. Also like situational stress, right? Like, right. let's say you're at work and you just, you get called out on something and you're like, oh crap. And you get that sinking fit in your stomach feeling. Yeah. Like those kind of things. That's that literal hormonal change and that's the acid changing and that's um, part of why you get diarrhea or that yeah. fight or flight kicks in. You pass a cop doing 10 over. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> Not I, that I would speed. <laughs> so true story. When I get uh, blue lights behind me. Literally every muscle in my body lack, locks up with lactic acid and starts to burn. You're like one of those goats that falls over. Pretty much. <laughs> well, it's fight or flight. So my yeah. body's trying to, you know, which I would never flee because I'd be <laughs> in worse trouble. But but literally my muscles burn and ache. And then I always like have diarrhea later. Yeah. Like it's bad. But it's because of that change. So if you're under, in a in a traumatic situation, if if you're in a, in a um, trying to think of the word, Kind of like a broken home situation or there's a lot of trauma all the time and this is constantly happening, mm-hmm. that's going to have a significant impact on your microbiome and you will be more susceptible to autoimmune issues, diseases, and sicknesses. The next is going to be reduced gut motility. Now, there's uh, a couple things that can contribute to that. Sometimes it's a plumbing issue. Some, like, uh, some people have heard of women with an extra curve in their colon. That can cause constipation, and and it, it's really a, a big deal because what happens with constipation is it starts to back up bacteria from the large intestines, and if it overgrows into the small intestines, uh, that's called SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. There's a lot of painful, uncomfortable symptoms with that mm. that could potentially lead to surgeries and things like that. So, so gut motility is very important. Ways we can increase gut motility. Number one, exercise. So peristalsis. I never heard that before. Yeah. I always heard like Imodium and all the like wives' tales kind that, of things. That's short-term band-aids that actually make things worse and don't address the issue. Now, exercise and movement stimulates peristalsis, which if you remember from, from health class, biology class, that's the contract natural contractions in the intestines that help to move towards bowel movements, yeah. move food towards bowel movements. So exercise stimulates more of that. So if you're sedentary all the time, you don't have as much peristalsis going on. So constipation is more common. Now, there's other things, you know, lack of fiber, most people are aware of, but also uh, dehydration. That can also make it difficult. And then also, if it's a plumbing issue, you can get a squatty potty. Ridiculous commercial, I know. Amazing. The Harmon Brothers, man. They make those commercials. Yeah, it's good stuff. But all joking aside, what happens with a lot of people is is we're not meant to use the bathroom at a 90-degree angle. That's ridiculous. That's not the way our bodies are made. And when we try and go at that angle, we're actually, there's a, a band or a muscle that cuts off the puborectalis muscle, which literally cinches close the exit. Mm. So getting past 90 degrees allows for that to get out of the way. And it makes it easier to have them. I've always wanted to try a squatty potty. I've never done it. I won't go without one now. I love them. Yeah. They, they even make travel ones now. But I have one at my house. And if you don't want to spend the money and you just want to try it, just get a cooler or a stack of books. It doesn't matter what it <laughs> is. You just need to get your feet elevated so that your knees are above your waist. 
I don't know about like the closing off or the shutting off the exit, but I know like occasionally I'll take my phone into the bathroom and spend too much time in there and then my legs will fall asleep. <laughs> and then I'm like dead walking out of the bathroom. I think so that's painful. all of us. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how much bacteria is on our phones. Wow. <laughs> Did, I don't know if you ever saw that episode of Mythbusters where they tested stuff in the bathroom, but it was a disgusting episode because what they found out is if you put your toothbrush like an inch from your toilet or if you put it on the other side of the bathroom, same amount of poo on your toothbrush. <laughs> well, I don't even cover mine, so I'm sure I'm just basically brushing with, with feces at this oh, point. That's disgusting. All right. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we got all these different things that can cause problems. Yep. Um, are there any other ones, any other big ones? Uh, I would say alcohol intake. If there's a large amount of that chronically, that can definitely cause some issues. Do you know much about the difference between, because people are always, I always hear often that there are health benefits to red wine. I never hear anybody say there's health benefits to beer, you know? <laughs> You know, I know it's fermented at least, so maybe there's some benefits, but I think the candida and the yeast and the alcohol and everything else negates those benefits. So I don't know. You know, I think it, you'd definitely still be better off avoiding it for the most part. I am not for never drinking. I think alcohol is lovely. So I'm not advocating people never drink, but based on what your goals are and what your symptoms are, you may want to consider reducing your intake. So next, I want to talk about some of the foods that promote inflammation. One of the first ones is going to be refined vegetable oils, like canola oil, corn, and soybean oils. That that can wreak havoc on your gut, definitely with that immune barrier we've been talking about, and that's something we want to stay away from. You pasteurize dairy products, your milk and things like that. Uh, I always go for non-dairy alternatives when possible. Now, if I want a really, really good dessert, Sometimes I'll cheat, but they now even have coconut whipped cream that comes from coconut milk. I mean, it's dairy free. So I don't even mind a little bit of sugar. I'm just trying to reduce my intake of dairy. Uh, fermented dairy is okay, though. So the next would be refined carbohydrates, processed grain products. Most of us are familiar with that one. And then here's one, conventional meat. If we were to compare conventional chicken versus organic chicken, it's actually 11 times more inflammatory via a C-reactive protein blood test. And that's because you are what your food eats. So you're not just <laughs> what you eat, you're what, what you eat ate as well. That's fun to say. So essentially like a non-organic chicken is basically in a coop and fed corn. Basically, which and is horrendous for us. And, and not just that, but it may be GMO, it may be sprayed with glyphosate and Roundup and chemicals and on and on and on. Now with beef, it's eight times more inflammatory to do conventional than grass-fed. So, so grass-fed organic pasture-raised are what we're looking for. Mm. Cage-free doesn't mean anything. That's a loophole in legislation. That just means the birds have to be out of their cages for five minutes a day. And typically, they literally can't move well enough to get out of the coop, even if there's a hole for them to get out. Again, you want to look for organic Grass-fed and pasture-raised, those are what we're looking for. Next is added sugars, of course, um, which I think some sugar is okay in the diet, but I usually go with stevia, honey, maple syrup, molasses, monk fruit, lohango. Those are my choices. A little bit of organic cane sugar I think is okay once in a while. The next is going to be trans fats. That's hydrogenated oils um, and processed products, so your Nabisco stuff. A lot of times you see it in peanut butters or partially hydrogenated. That's literally trans fat. 
It's going to cause heart disease. We've been talking a lot about all the things that will destroy your microbiome. This is one of those things that can be uh, helped, sometimes reversed, by eating the right things, right? Absolutely. Uh, So let's start with healthy fats, such as grass-fed butter, or even better would be ghee, which is a clarified butter without the dairy proteins. In fact, some people that are lactose intolerant do fine with ghee. I never heard of grass-fed butter before. Yeah, it's pretty common. Kerrygold is a uh, uh, one. Uh, there's you see the grass-fed Irish one. It's a green wrapper, nuts that weren't roasted in canola oil, uh, so raw or dry roasted, avocado oil, olive oil, coconut oil, and nuts and seeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about fish oil? Yeah, fish oil absolutely. In fact, that's one of the staple supplements. If you have any budget for supplement, I want people on fish oil. I mean, I try and get 6,000 milligrams in a day, uh, personally. Uh, anywhere from four to 6,000 is probably good. Uh, but even if you're doing 2,000 milligrams a day, that'll make a big difference. Yeah, fish oil can be pretty affordable. Now, there's different qualities of fish oil, but, you know, if, if you're worried about cost, Nature Made is fine. Uh, it's not going to hurt you. It'll definitely give you all the benefits. Uh, one of them being fish oil literally lubricates your digestive tract and makes motility easier. Yeah. Uh, so it can help fight constipation. You want to get the burpless kind. Oh, yes. I only get the burpless kind. Because otherwise, you don't want to be burping, you know, on fish burping on fish oil. It is not. When did I eat fish? Oh, that's not right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's stomach turning. I used to take one with mint added, and so I would get, like, fishy mint. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure that was much better. Uh, the old fish mint. <laughs> Speaking of fish oil, foods higher in omega-3, like wild-caught fish and seafood, are a great idea, but it does need to be wild-caught. And you bring up this whole thing about, like, why you should try to get fat. It's still hard for me eat fat. I'm still ingrained with this in my upbringing, fat is bad. And uh, the idea that if you eat fat, you're going to get fat. If you put fat in your body, you're going to get fat. No, it's, it's really more of a sugar thing. Wheat grain, corn pastas. And that's where the obesity epidemic really took off is when we start getting government subsidized, you know, general mills and things like that. And they put 11 freaking servings of, of grain at the bottom of the food pyramid. Yeah. Now the wrong kinds of fats can, Lead to arthrosclerosis and other things like that. But but the right kind of fats are more like fuel. Correct? Right, right. Yeah, and it also helps with the building blocks of your brain. Your brain is 60% fat. I bought the audiobook for Sleep Smarter because you brought it up on one of the episodes not too long ago. And he was talking about this issue of fat. And, and he said, like, thinking that eating fat is going to make you fat is like thinking that you eat blueberries is going to make you turn blue. Exactly. Yeah. And I think one of the main concerns with, with fat was uh, with heart attacks. And when they do the surgeries, they would see that arthrosclerotic buildup of cholesterol, which is another form of fat. But that's because they were assuming that cholesterol was causing it. But cholesterol is actually sent in to repair damaged cells that were damaged from sugar. So yes, the blockage is made up of fat, but it wasn't because of dietary fat. It was because of an over-mobilization of cholesterol to fix the damaged arteries from the intake of sugar be it from wheat grain, corn, cane sugar, corn syrup, and things like that. Uh, So very important distinction. Next is going to be probiotic foods like organic Greek yogurt, kefir, which is a type of like Greek yogurt-ish type of water. It's kind of interesting. Uh, Kimchi, which is fermented cabbage, fermented vegetables such as sauerkraut, or even taking a probiotic, not a bad idea. 
Now that can help give your microbiome a little boost, boosty boost. I started just fermenting like some onions because they're great on tacos or whatever. It's really easy to ferment something. I didn't realize. How do you how do you ferment onions? So essentially, so I started getting some of those ship to your house meals things, mm-hmm. and they say basically you want to ferment these onions and they'll be great on your pork tacos that you're gonna make or whatever or carnitas or whatever. And so they they just say you you squeeze like a little bit of a lemon or a lime in there and put in a little bit of vinegar. And then you can add sugar if you want it to be sweet. I skipped the sugar step. Awesome. Tastes just like nice. fermented, you know? That's fantastic. And I di- it didn't take long. Like, I only let them sit there for, like, 45 minutes. But then I kept the leftovers because I had a bunch of onion, and I just put them in a closed container in the fridge. And I think they got better for, like, three or four days. You know, that's good to know because I love pickled onions for tacos. And I was actually talking to Michelle about that the other week. But so I always buy red onion and we'll at least saute them. Yeah. Uh, but I would love to also have the fermented one. So you said lime juice and what else? It was just lime juice and vinegar. All right. White vinegar? White vinegar. Cool. I'm going to try that. Maybe even tonight. I have some bison and I get those siete non-grain tortillas. Yeah. Maybe we'll do that tonight. That sounds fun. All right. Next is going to be herbs, spices, and teas. They can help. Turmeric, ginger. Ginger especially is fantastic for your gut. And then organic coffees and teas in moderation. Yeah, ginger's known, ginger tea is known to calm your stomach, right? Right, right. That's one of the primary health benefits of ginger. With coffee beans, I think it's important to get organic when you can because coffee beans are one of the most glyphosate sprayed items in the world. Uh, so if it's organic, you know it doesn't have that chemical sprayed on it. Um, mm. And it's something you have every single day, which is why I think it's important that your coffee is uh, organic. I went to check out Wegmans, which is a new store in our area, which is a northern shopping store. They have a fantastic fruits and vegetables section. And I, for the first time, bought just a piece of ginger uh, root. And it was it was like 30 cents. I was like, what the heck? I'm going to try it. And I just zested it over a couple of different meals. It's amazing. Like, yeah. you just take the root, just zest it up a little bit. Mm, tastes great. It's Make good. some good Asian dishes. Yeah, and it's good on chicken. Like, you wouldn't think it would be great on chicken, but ginger's fantastic with chicken. Yeah, I had, I had ginger powder because I'm lazy um, with uh, coconut aminos. And it makes kind of like a teriyaki. And I'll do that with chicken and broccoli in a pan. Oh, it's fantastic. But, but the real ginger would taste even better and fresher. And the number one most helpful thing you can do for your microbiome health is to eat as many different types of vegetables as possible. So why is it important to eat different types of vegetables? So every different type of vegetable has a different type of fiber, a different kind of nutrient, and it helps to create a more diverse and robust microbiome. It's like spreading other little colonies that can then grow and grow and grow to overgrow the bad types. We talked about that dysbiosis. So one of the bad types could be like candida, which comes from sugar and yeast and things like that. So a couple fun facts about candida overgrowth. You know, high sugar diet definitely leads to that. Antibiotics wiping out the the good kind allows candida to grow better. Chronic stress encourages candida growth. The contraceptive pill, uh, which I'm not against, but I think there should be more education around it, could could also potentially cause that. And this one I thought was really interesting. If you have a filling in your teeth with mercury, that's going to encourage more candida growth. I don't know the science behind it, but but that's been noted. And of course, chemical exposures, whether it's your phthalates and parabens in your shampoos and things in your makeup and things like that, and then also being diabetic. But going back to the vegetables, the indigestible portion of vegetables actually feed 
probiotics. They work as prebiotics that feed probiotics. So the more different types and the more vegetables in your diet, the, the easier and faster it is to grow that microbiome. So when it comes to the indigestible parts of vegetables, should we be eating closer to the ends of our vegetables? I no, guess is what I'm saying. No, that's not what I'm saying that's at all. That's not what you're saying. Okay. Yeah, so so the delicious parts of vegetables that we typically eat, there's fibers in there that we don't digest. That's, you know, if you've heard of soluble and non-soluble fiber. See me at home eating like the, the rinds of no, lemons no, being no, like, no, I'm no. helping my microbiome. <laughs> no, what I'm saying, no. <laughs> Now, uh, there's soluble and non-soluble fiber in foods. What helps to bulk up our stool would be the indigestible portions. So, so that can feed your microbiome. Again, another plug for Wegmans, not a sponsor, but <laughs> they had so many different types of vegetables there that you just normally don't see in a grocery store. Yeah. We're going back to hit up some some snacks for uh, Super Bowl this weekend. Oh, yeah. I'm going to check them out this weekend for sure. Yeah. I've never been to a Wegmans. I'm excited. It's pretty awesome. You make a day out of it. It's like a Sam's Club. They got samples and everything. Oh, my God. Now I'm really excited. They also, and this is the first time I've seen it, and I know that there's a lot of controversy about this. Maybe you know something about it, but they do sell sushi-grade fish, like to make your own sushi there. Yeah. Which normally you don't see that at your Harris Teeters or your Food Lions or your other grocery stores. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. I'd still be nervous to try it, but... Yeah. But I, I like sushi. Oh, I love sushi. <laughs> I just don't want to be preparing raw fish and potentially killing myself or my family. I got into a phase where I tried to make it for a while. I never got good at it. <laughs> All right. So now that we know some of the good foods to add to our diet to help our microbiome, if you already have an issue or some form of dysbiosis, you know, it's a couple numbers. Just How would you know? Like, what would it feel like? How would that manifest if you had a microbiome issue and you had dysbiosis going on? What would it look like? Typically, it could be constipation or diarrhea. It could be cramping. It could be just general discomfort. Irritable bowel syndrome is when it's painful to, to eliminate. Those are the most common but it can also be skin issues. It could be chronic sinus issues, things like that. What would be an example of some skin issues that might be related to your microbiome? Rashes, sometimes even eczema is part of that, uh, which is why when people remove wheat grain and corn from their diet, their eczema clears up. I don't know that I've ever had a case that didn't. And that's the thing people struggle with for 30, 40, 50 years. And they're like, well, it runs in my family. No, what your family eats runs in your family. But there's 70 million uh, people that have a digestive order in the U.S. And then one in six have some form of mental illness. What's important to know there is that 90%, again, we've said this a few times on this show, 90% of your serotonin is produced in your gut. Uh, So if so many people have mental illness, I mean, so many people have digestive orders, we would be stupid not to think that maybe there's a link there. It's because of that depletion of serotonin. I think that's direct cause and effect. Um, serotonin is your feel good, make you happy hormone. So if that's in the tank because your microbiome is all kinds of a wreck, then yeah, anxiety and depression is imminent. And then one in three of us will have anxiety at some point with one in five having it within the last year. I mean, I don't mean situational stuff like, yeah, if you just got in a car accident, you should be a little anxious, but I'm talking chronic all the time. Now in the case of mental health, SIBO is important, which is that small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, uh, because 70 to 90% of IBS sufferers have some sort of mental disorder. So again, there's that connection between the microbiome, gut health, and anxiety, depression, and mental disorders. That's a crazy high number. Yeah. Yeah. And and so that's why I, I do recommend uh, to anyone, the squatty potty and anything that can help prevent SIBO, that, that bacterial overgrowth, uh, more movement, everything we've talked about, fiber, water, fish oil, to, to help with that. And it really is a big deal. It's not 
the commonplace to think, like, the things that would make you want to go see a mental health professional, you would think it would be pills and talking it out. And that helps. But it's like there's this really big missing component that I feel like nobody really is talking about, which is like, as you mentioned, 90% of the serotonin is produced in your gut and you've got all these issues in your gut. So if you if you have IBS and you're like, man, I just feel like I'm a little off, that's a crazy stat, man. 70 to 90% of people with IBS have some sort of mental disorder. That's bananas, which means that 70, 90% of people can actually do something about that. It, it does take uh, intentional effort. It takes change and not everybody's willing to do that. But those that are, the, the amount of freedom from antibiotics, from depression, from anxiety, from all kinds of things, it's worth it. And that's really what the show is all about, is helping people uh, find the ability to transform their lives and take things into their own hands. And that's not to say that some people aren't always going to need medication and things, because I think there are cases where, where um, it's worth it to stay on those medications. And I'm not advocating for everybody to just dump their prescriptions automatically without any kind of doctor's um, right. recommendation. And if you are already taking medications to deal with those issues, I've had tons of clients be able to get off them after... Uh, revamping their diet and changing the way they eat and their habits and and lifestyles. But it takes time. It does take effort. We've got all these people with unhealthy microbiomes. What are the benefits of putting the steps in place to make sure you're taking care of this part of your body? So elimination is a lot easier, which means less risk of colon cancer, less risk of small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, less risk of Crohn's disease, diverticulitis, all these really common problems that a lot of people just assume is normal because everybody has it, mm-hmm. uh, especially as they age. The, the incredible improvement in joint health and reduction of inflammation and arthritis is, is unbelievable. Now, it may not have as much effect on something like rheumatoid arthritis, but general arthritis yeah. clears up quite a bit, especially with the elimination of wheat, grain, corn, and dairy with everybody I've ever worked with. I've had 70-year-olds that have been dealing with arthritis for 20, 30 years have a complete reversal and no longer need medication for it just by changing what they eat. Um, It's incredible. Mood, motivation, ability to say no to sugar. Uh, The more sugar-loving bacteria in your system, the harder it is for you to say no because those bacteria are alive and they're integrated with your entire microbiome and they actually cause you to crave more. They literally make you put more sugar in your mouth. Uh, So it's easier to get away from those types of foods and make better decisions, which that has a huge implication with type 2 diabetes and your brain. So so those are some. Your skin can clear up quite a bit. Uh, You're less susceptible to disease because your immune system is significantly strengthened. All these autoimmune issues that we see today, fibromyalgia that keep popping up, all this stuff goes away typically. Now, it does take time. It's not like you cut out all these things and you go on a crash diet for two weeks and you're cured. You know, I would definitely recommend just slowly cutting out a few items at a time, allowing your lifestyle to adjust so that this is a permanent change. Yeah, if you try to go cold turkey on everything. Then you're a turkey. That's uh, (laughs) that's just not going to work. So if you wanted to cut out one thing first, Brandon, what would you suggest? Corn. Corn. Corn, corn syrup, corn anything. That would be, and it's probably the hardest thing to cut out because it's the most prevalent in all of our foods. Right. Yeah, so if you can cut out corn, corn syrup, that's probably the best start. Now, one other thing is I haven't done any significant research in this area, but there's a ginormous link between microbiome health and autism. They're even having people on the autism spectrum change their diet and go completely asymptomatic for autism. 
depending on the severity, but, but there's a huge link there. So that's something to consider, especially if you have uh, any children that are borderline or, or already have something, let's say like Down syndrome or autism, they could definitely increase their, their ability to function based on what they're putting in their body. Because with an already weakened immune system, they're going to be more susceptible to, to those illnesses, which can slow them down even further. Uh, speaking of which, yeah. I just had an opportunity to co-host on your show, The Guys Who Do Stuff uh, with Matthew Schwab. Yeah. Oh, that was incredible. That has his own TED Talk already. He was a 22-year-old. That's yeah. just incredible. You know, he's interned for government agencies. He works. He's got his own business. Right. It's, it's just incredible. He's an advocate for people with Down syndrome, which is he has Down syndrome. Right. And uh, his TED Talk was about the importance as employers to hire people with Down syndrome. He's an inspiring dude. Right. And I was speaking just a minute after after the show with him and his mom, and they said that the diet was huge uh, for him, as well as physical therapy and, and uh, you know, to work on that muscle tone development and, and joint laxity and things like that. Now, there are a couple of uh, supplements that could help with depression and your microbiome. And I just wanted to touch on those just for a minute. The first being vitamin B12. Now, when you're looking for B12, you want to make sure it's the correct form, which should be methylcobalamin. It should be methylated cobalamin, not cyanocobalamin. Most of the cheap brands are going to use cyanocobalamin. It's not particularly helpful. Uh, the next vitamin I would look for is folate, not folic acid. Folic acid is a cheaper form that's not well absorbed because your body has to upconvert it. And that's the big thing you're looking for, right? You want to buy the supplements that are in the way that your body wants to absorb them. Right. If you're going to spend money on supplements, make sure they're in the right form. Buying a cheaper one literally is flushing money down the toilet. Like you get almost no benefit. So I'd always recommend spending just paying just a little bit extra and make sure what you're buying is going to make a difference. Zinc and selenium. Zinc is huge for um, your immune system, for wound healing. A lot of Kids, especially that are picky eaters, typically have a zinc deficiency. And when it gets added back to their diet, all of a sudden they'll start eating meat and broccoli and things that they've been avoiding. Mm. So there's all kinds of benefits to zinc. Uh, selenium is one. But they've all been implicated to improve mental health. So hopefully there's there's uh, it gives you quite a bit of information and things that you can work on uh, for your microbiome health. I hope you guys take a lot out of this. And make some changes to your grocery list. Feel free to send me a message. If you'd be curious for a nutrition consult or anything like that, let me know. And anything we reference in the show will be in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. If you did, uh, go check us out at firewithinnf.com. You can subscribe to our newsletters and make sure you never miss an episode or any other content. Also, be sure to follow us on social media.